Once upon a morning, there was a freshly brewed McCafe coffee. It was made with 100% Arabica beans, yet something was missing. Fear not, in the distance, a sausage McMuffin with egg rides toward the sunrise in quest for breakfast. The perfect pair met at McDonald's, and mornings were happy forever after. Right now, get $1 any size coffee and a $2 sausage McMuffin with egg off the $123 menu. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. going on this is Gabe Leisure and this is your Sunday afternoon managing Madrid podcast I am flying solo this afternoon because hello and well. uh, Keon has some uh, personal things to deal with and so I'm just gonna give you a bit of a rundown what I was thinking um, with respect to uh, the way Spain played and the way uh, you know some of the other Madridistas have played uh, at the World Cup so far obviously um, yeah, Spain with a bit of a bit of a struggle session today as they uh, as they looked <laughs> to advance in the tournament. Everyone thought they had sort of had it set up to move, move to semifinals, and they choked it out against Russia pretty literally. I don't mean choked out. I mean uh, as in like you know uh, literally someone died, but I mean literally they just choked. I mean you know, there was a this reminded me as a fan of the Spain Spanish national team. You know, Andrea Madrid. Reminded me a lot of the 2002 uh, national team debacle, where they had a very similar debacle against uh, South Korea, who were at that point the hosts of the World Cup. Uh, so, I mean, I think that you know, just just to sort of get into it, obviously, you know, the way this is going to go, I'm just going to do a quick rundown, uh, sort of my thoughts on these games. I'm I'm going to give you uh, answer your questions uh, a little bit later in the day um, when I when I get finally get home. And then finally, I'm going to play some of the audio of my interview on Love Sport Radio UK, where I was previewing the Spain game. So you guys get to listen to that fun stuff and listen to me be wrong uh, about all that fun, fun, fun stuff. <laughs> uh, so just yeah, let's just uh, let's just jump in. So I think really quickly before we do the Spain game, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get into a little bit of the Portugal stuff. So obviously Portugal was bounced from the World Cup uh, two to one by a. I think very, very competent Uruguay side, and uh, if we weren't taking Uruguay you know, seriously in this World Cup before now, I think it's time to. They have a very, very solid defense. Uh, Portugal's only goal was a Pepe header. Uh, I mean, they have a really solid defense to the point where you know it, it reminds me a lot of some of those classic Italian teams where they have you know one or two real dynamos up front and then a very powerful defense. Uh, going uh, to, that really can just shut teams, entire teams down. Now, look, have they played the the toughest competition yet? No. So their big test is in the next round against France. Uh, but we'll have to so we'll have to see how they deal with that. My my feeling, obviously, so far has been that you know Uruguay has been extremely impressive. I mean, Portugal had a lot of the ball. That's sort of Uruguay's mo. Uh, you know, Portugal had a lot of the ball. Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, you know, had to drop deep in the deeper spaces. Uh, and try to create things cutting into the left. Obviously, he was unable to do that. Um, Portugal's basic strategy should have been to do a lot of long across the field, uh, you know, crosses. 
uh, making sure that, you know, trying to switch the point of attack on Uruguay, basically. Uh, unfortunately, you know, for Cristiano, that didn't really work out. And, you know, he is not quite the same. It's not that he's worse, but he's not the same player as he was a few years ago where maybe this approach would have been uh, would have been smarter. Now, uh, you know, in this, this edition of Cristiano Ronaldo is not quite that. So, you know, obviously Portugal's going home. Obviously earlier in the day, uh, there was that thrilling France-Argentina game. Uh, and I think that the next match in that, in that little quadrant of the bracket will be fascinating. I mean, uh, this whole time before now, I've actually had France as my, uh, as my eventual champion. So if Uruguay can beat Fr- like a really powerful French attack back, and, and I think they, they definitely have all the defensive chops to do that, I think we could really be seeing the start of a deep, deep run to the tournament for Uruguay. I think it could easily end in the final for them if they can continue the, the defense the way they have what they've been playing, I would be very, I would be very shocked if they, you know, didn't at least make the semis. I mean, this is a, this is a really good team, everybody. I, I hadn't really realized um, the extent of Uruguay's power defensively uh, until this match against Portugal. And this is not to say that Portugal is, you know, some sort of offensive behemoth. They definitely aren't. They're also sort of a, uh, in the mold of Uruguay, a good defensive team. But Uruguay definitely has the chops to kind of pull an old school Italy on this thing and. And, and win with their defense, and, and their offense will do just enough. And, you know, that goal from Cavani was incredible, and uh, obviously that's a quite a fearsome pairing between those two. And one of the things that's really impressive about Cavani and Suarez is that they're so good at just creating trouble for the other team. Um, they are one of the best pairings in the sport at just making sure that, you know, when a team is pressed up far up the pitch against them, they won't stick around to the same place, right? They, they move constantly, and they constantly keep a fair distance between them, which forces the two center backs that stay back to guard them uh, to not be able to have both of the center backs guarding one of them or really shutting all it down. There's still a lot of space there, even though they're two forwards moving, uh, uh, trying to grab that ball and go forward with it. So uh, beyond that, I think... We'll see how, how, how long this Uruguay defense holds out against, let's, I mean, let's be clear, one of the most powerful offensive teams in the tournament with uh, Mbappe clearly in form for France and Griezmann. And obviously they, they rested Dembele in this match, and, and he, he's absolutely a dynamo as well. So we'll have to see, um, you know, how, how France approaches this match against Uruguay. And, you know, after that, we'll, uh, I think we'll know a lot more about kind of the future of this tournament uh, after this match. So I'm, I'm, that's one of the ones I'm really excited for. Let's talk about a match I am absolutely incredibly not excited for. Um, France, uh, or sorry, Spain, Russia. Um, anyone who's a Spain fan from the same era that I am will know that this Spain team actually do have a history of sort of being chokers. I'm not saying that they are chokers. I'm just saying that they're sort of chokers. And I... Uh, this edition of the Spanish side did seem to be choking in this World Cup. Now, is that who is to blame for that is a totally different question. But I think that regardless of who's in charge, regardless of the manager, regardless of anything else, uh, you have to put everything aside when you're a professional. And it does. It just seems to me that some of these players didn't weren't all there today. And when it came down to the very you know, brass tacks, the bare bones, when it came down to that penalty shoot, really, is what I'm talking about. These players just didn't step up when they needed to. And 
you know, in 2002, we complain all the time about refereeing decisions, and I'll get into that in a second. But, you know, in, 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 in 2018, I think there are a fair amount we can too. But just like in 2002, in 2018, if Spain had just won the penalty shootout, it wouldn't have been a question. But they couldn't. They couldn't convert. De Gea missed badly on every single penalty other than the first one where he got a finger to it. Um, it just, it was a, it was a bad performance from Spain. Koke's penalty was terribly taken. And then Iago Aspas's penalty was also, you know, just showed a, the signs of being an unserious shot, it seemed like. Like, he, he, he just was overthinking. He hit it too hard. It went, went out. So, you know, it's just, it's a, it's an incredibly disappointing World Cup for Spain. And, you know, this is a game that I think, you know, well, we can discuss it, you know, but I, 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 I don't think this is a game Spain would, in kind of the traditional way, we would say Spain deserved to lose by, but the problem is that in, in, a, in a one-off tournament like this, deserves really got nothing to do with it. You just have to be professional and, and you have to uh, be able to convert the opportunities that you get against teams that are bunkered in. It reminds me, the way Russia played this match, very, I mean, obviously it was lucky, but it was also very composed defensively. They had a very tight, uh, the two, like, you know, two lines of two defensive structure. They played in a 5-3-2, which I think is a very interesting and smart way to go at the Spain team. I, I just, to be quite frank, like, this is a team Spain really should have beaten, but it was an unserious Spain team, I think, that went into, or that approached the, the, the end of this match. Let's quickly talk about the game itself. Um, obviously, Spain converts on, you know, frankly, a pretty lucky, uh, a pretty lucky own goal. I mean, they had a lot of opportunities to convert. Uh, they didn't, <laughs> you know, and by a lot of opportunities, what I really mean is they had a, a huge amount of uh, 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 horizontal possession, not a tremendous amount of vertical possession. Uh, but the, there were the, there were opportunities there, and they just simply, you know, the the. You know, the, the, the various forwards in this match just simply failed to convert uh, when, when they were given the opportunity. I think in particular, I, I, I think this match is really, uh, you know, a, a, a black mark for Diego Costa. I, I just felt like he was basically, you know, gone almost the entire match, basically didn't touch the ball. When he did touch the ball, he did not look comfortable on it. It was, it was a match that maybe cried out for Diego Costa's height, but he did not use that particularly well. And so when he, it seemed like he was off, I think that if it were me, I would have wanted to convert, uh, I would have wanted to change, uh, uh, change up my striker pretty quickly. Just because, you know, in this type of match with these players, you want space. And what Diego Costa did not and has never provided this main team is those incisive cutting runs that a Yago Aspas type a David Villa type, you know, who, who back in the day did it. But this kind of smaller, more uh, uh, more midfielders forward kind of nine that Spain has played in the past really does. It's a, the, the player that can drop back, drop to the wings, and create those pockets of space that they're then uh, midfielders and wingers can run on to. So that's sort, of, that's sort of where I am with this stuff. I, I, I do want to talk about a couple of the controversies. I mean... Let's just get into it quickly. The handball rule is incomprehensible to me. Uh, it, w it would be comprehensible to me if referees would call it in this tournament consistently. But today what we saw was a handball penalty called that was not called against uh, 
against Argentina in the Nigeria game and was not called previously in the tournament and then was called. So it was basically two on and two, two on each side of this where the player gets a ball accidentally headed into his arm and then the referee basically has to call. And now look, let's be clear also, when you're playing the host of the tournament, you're not gonna get this call. Spain didn't get it in 2002, they didn't get it in 2018. And especially they're not gonna get it when they're playing fucking Russia. So they have to be able to be professional and not get their minds locked into these little injustices. If they were gonna go forward and beat you know, a very well positioned Russian like, side defensively. And fundamentally what happened is that going into that second like period of extra time, Spain had a player go down in the box. On replay, to me, it did look like he was pulled down. And at this World Cup, referees have been calling that as a foul. Uh, I think that what you know fundamentally what happened is that that rattled the Spanish players. That that feeling of injustice you saw it before the penalty kick shootout. All of the Russian players were there together, very determined looking. Sergio Ramos talking to the referees still about getting yanked down of the box. He's pulling his shirt, saying all these things. Listen, listen, at this point, you need to you need to focus. There's still a way to win this match. And it's just like in 2002, and I know I keep coming back to this, but just like in 2002, Spain showed a lack of professionalism to convert uh, in these, in these, fundamentally in these, these incredibly, you know, grueling conditions, but conditions nonetheless that players like Ramos and Piquet and all of these, you know, players in these high-end teams have faced on the road. This is what I was saying, and you'll hear it in the interview later. I don't think that people like Ramos and, 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 and Spain, like most of Spain's squad, would say that it's harder to play against, you know, this crowd in Moscow than it would be to play against, say, a crowd in Anfield or whatever. Like, I, I think that that's a, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But it is harder when, they get, when you get in your own head and you start complaining and you start, you know, thinking about other things other than the task at hand, which is converting your penalty shots. Uh, and ironically, um, you know, we'll get to... Uh, I'll jump into that now. The, the penalty shootout was just a just a <laughs> intro to intro to how to lose a match 101. I mean, the choices of penalty kick takers are absolutely baffling for me. Uh, it was you know the, it, it just <laughs> obviously Iniesta is a good penalty kick taker. We know that. I was pretty surprised that PK was one of the people taking the penalties, uh, but he net, netted his, and then it was. Um, it was Koke, and so up goes Koke, and you know he's an Atletico player. He's a good player. I might have put him in my five. He just takes a takes a terrible penalty. And I saw a couple of people saying that fundamentally at these at this level, players are at the different teams that they're on for a reason, and and that's why you saw the you know the Real Madrid players and the Barcelona players convert their penalty shots and. Uh, that we had a Koke from Atletico and then Iago Aspas from Celta. And, and Iago just, you know, big stage for him. And uh, yeah, he choked. Koke, I think, though, is the one that is, 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 the, is the real one in black market or circle because not only – so Iago missed his. It was an incredibly clutch uh, situation. He needed to make it to even give Spain a hope and a prayer. Uh, but – you know, it's Koke who really lost this one, I think, for Spain with his just atrociously taken penalty about waist high, which is the worst possible height for a penalty, basically. Uh, waist high, right down the, the right quadrant 
you know, that the center of the right half of the goal. Uh, it's exactly where as soon as as soon as uh, he hit it, I was it just it's it was a terribly taken penalty, and you know you just have to wonder if maybe Koke had uh, had hit it a little bit harder and or just done what what the Russians were doing right, which is you know hitting it hard and right down the middle. Whether he could have converted the penalty kick, and I'm you know, my feeling is that he probably could have, but. Ultimately, this is a this is a match that Spain is going to want to forget and move past. Now, obviously, I was one of the first people to jump into this blame game because I think it's important to point the finger at the people who deserve to have the finger pointed at them. And in this case, I think, you know, look, obviously, it's the players that uh, that 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 drop the ball, sort of. But also, you know, Hierro. Generally, I think this is one of the few games where he got a lot of his substitutions right. I think he got his lineup basically right. Uh, I also think uh, he basically had Spain ready to go for that first first and second half. The problem is that it wasn't a one and two half game. It was a, it was a you know really a three half game, and he did not have Spain mentally prepared to play that um, to play that overtime. I thought, and then even though. You know, they came out and played as pretty strong over time. He didn't have the strength of character to make his players forget about the injustices of the match and just focus on winning the penalty shootout. That is the only thing that mattered at that point, and it was impossible for him to do. And I don't know if that's because Ramos is just a hothead and he's going to fight and gonna, they're all going to complain. It doesn't matter. For whatever whatever we're talking about, there has to be... It, it all comes back to missing your penalties. And I don't know if you could have picked better penalty kick takers. I'm shocked that Isco wasn't one of them. I'll say that. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I also I think it's, an, it's a mental issue. And just like we've been saying forever now, the, the mental issues are, are the issues with this team. Uh, there were these small mental lapses. There were many fewer of them in this match, which is why I think he did a generally pretty good job uh, preparing Spain for the 90 minutes. But... It's 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 a penalty kick are the most mental and mentally taxing, stressful things in the entire game, and with Spain going into a situation where they were about to be upset on penalty kicks, you got to figure that a perhaps a more talented man manager, a Zidane for example, would have brought those guys together just like he did before the final against Atletico for the for the Madridistas and say, look, we're gonna we have to wipe everything else out. This is the only thing that matters. We're playing a penalty shootout. It's these five shots, and that's all we've got. And it, there's nothing else. You can't allow any other thoughts to get in your head. And I think that a lot of the Spain players had other things in their head, uh, fundamentally. And and so that's sort of my my take on the Spain game. I I really feel like the handball. They have to figure out how to call the handball rule. This isn't an excuse. I think Spain should have played better and, and really should have won the match when they needed to win it. But they need to figure out the handball rule. Uh, and I think they do need to figure out how they want players, referees to call the uh, 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 the kind of normal box jostling that we used to think that they seem to want to eliminate. We need to figure that out also. And there are a lot of there are a lot of pretty simple fixes. I think one of them is give VAR referees um, kind of total jurisdiction over this stuff. Uh, and the other one I think is is simple. The the handball rule is even simpler I think. And it's just give us a series of clear definitions of what an unnatural position is for a hand on a play where as every single one of these plays have been so far the player is jumping we need to know what an unnatural hand position is for that because i really don't 
understand how this this Spain um, Piquet's hand positioning is more unnatural uh, than the play in uh, uh, Argentina versus Nigeria. I just don't get it. So if someone could, if they could figure out how to how to you know to how to explain that, that would be useful as well. Um, but I, I mean, I think Spain has to leave this World Cup just feeling really angry. I mean, the fans, I mean. I, I think that the team has to be feeling a little bit let down, uh, but also a little embarrassed. Um, but, I mean, as a fan, and I think all of you out there who are Spain fans, and maybe even some of you who aren't, who just wanted a more competitive World Cup, a uh, more interesting World Cup, got to feel a little bit let down by the way this Spain team has, has, has shown. And I think the, the finger of blame, the, the majority of the finger of blame has to go directly to uh, Rubiales and the, the, the Federation. And it's not that we can be sure that Lopetegui would have done better. We can't, we have no idea. And the point is, they didn't allow us to know that. We, they didn't allow uh, Lopetegui to even get in and, and try, right? This is... I have to, I have to, call, I have to cool off, folks. <laughs> I was watching the game um, in a bar here in Vermont, and I, uh, I just like almost broke my phone, almost broke my glass. No one else was giving a shit. I was by myself. I fucking looked like a crazy person. It was ten in the morning. Uh, I was, <laughs> and I was just cursing in Spanish under my breath. And I just can't imagine what these people must have thought of me. <laughs> it's just this crazy huge guy sitting at the bar cursing at the TV that was muted <laughs> oh my god I felt like it was better to watch it in a bar by myself where no one knew me um, than, than to like there were I had a couple of friends who were doing watch parties and uh, <laughs> I, I really am not the kind of person that can like I, I'm I talk to myself throughout these matches as a kind of way of um, keeping myself sane and uh, <laughs> if anyone disagreed with me, I think I would have flown into a rage today. So, uh, and I need to cool off. I need to cool off about this. Um, I think that that you know this entire World Cup campaign can be placed squarely, squarely um, at the feet of of the Federation. However, I it's not that we know for sure what would have happened with with Lovatiki. We don't, right? Obviously, we don't. But it's that the idea of sacking a manager two I'm not I just I need to calm down, but the idea of sacking a manager two days before the World Cup is such a gross power play. And I don't think we should ever forget that this is how this federation is gonna do business. Uh, this was a it was an ego move, it was a move to try to save face. Um, you know, I think you can you can certainly say that Madrid didn't comport themselves with perfect valor in this. But I also think that that can't matter. You know, you have to make the call that's best for the Federation. And I think he has a lot of things to answer for. Uh, you know, he, I mean, honestly, if he were a man of, of principle and honor, he would resign. Because it's, it's what he's done is essentially take a very deep, very talented Spain squad um, that was rolling into this World Cup uh, and took its legs out, essentially. Fired its manager. And what you saw, the result was a Spain squad that couldn't keep its focus, that kept, uh, uh, that didn't have any confidence, it seemed like, in its manager, and uh, didn't expect to win the games. It expected sort of to choke. And that itself is uh, it's a sign of mental weakness that you get 
when you're when you have a squad that doesn't uh, that doesn't follow or believe in its coach. And you know, on top of all of this, he appoints Hierro, who, by all accounts, didn't want to be the coach of the national team, and who's I I mean I can't tell whether Hierro is a good coach or not. Um, what I can say is that he was thrown into an incredibly unenviable position of coming in after a coach who was widely liked by all the Spanish players, uh, and and he was thrown into that. Uh, uh, tried to follow that guy, so it's. I think the I think the blame has to rest squarely on the feet of the Federation and of Rubiales. And listen, I'm happy to I'm happy to entertain people um, who don't agree with me. I'm fine with that. Um, but simply simply put, to me, there is one person and one person only who is at fault for this, um, or at least who carries the vast majority of the blame. It's Rubiales, and he made that decision himself. He made that decision based entirely on ego. He made that decision um, without the consent of the players. And we just have to go back to some of these some of these statements that everyone was making at the time, which was, if you all remember, uh, no, he didn't talk to the players. Uh, the players clearly, you know, all these reporting, the players didn't want uh, uh, Lovatengi to leave. Uh, the players, you know, well, we'll make the best of it. It was what they were all saying, and like we're professionals. But like that's the answer you give when you're not happy about the the things that happened, right? You know, this is this is the kind of you know prepackaged player answer when you're not super excited about the things that just happened. And good on them, sort of, for uh, for being able to keep their cool in the face of having the the widely liked manager yanked, fired out of the blue. Uh, and two days before their first opening match, and that's sort of that's sort of my the end of my little bit on Spain. Um, I don't. I'm I'm bummed out, guys. I'm bummed out. That's. I think that's should be evident from from what I've been saying. But you know, I'm honestly this is this is a tough this is a tough period. Uh, you know, I think it's it's going to be nice sort of um, to to get back to thinking about Real Madrid for me, but. This is a tough. This is a tough loss. You know, it's. I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat it. Russia is not a good team. Spain should be beating them. It shouldn't even be close. Uh, Russia is also kind of a gross team. No offense to any of our Russians. It's kind of gross. Um, they, you know, clearly benefited from some favorable refereeing, just like in uh, 2002, Korea did. Uh, and in this match, it was it was a sort of the same story. I, you know, I think this is a likable Spain squad. Um, that, that became, over the tournament, that kind of remorphed into that old-school Spain squad that is a classic choking squad. You know, they, they get into these big moments, and then they miss their penalties. And, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know how else to, how else to talk about this. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a very bad taste in my mouth. I'm very annoyed and angry at the way that the Federation handled itself. I don't think anyone who's listening to this show probably expected me to say anything else fundamentally. I, I know that I've, we, Ken and I had a show where I, I basically said all this stuff already. So that sort of, um, that sort of is where I am. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, there's a lot more, we're going to dissect all of this stuff in, in great detail. I think you can, you can kind of nitpick how Spain approached the match tactically, but I actually thought that, you know, if you, if you listen to the last show that, that, that I did with Kian and I did, 
I think Lopetegui-Hierro uh, made all of the right subs and made all of the right lineup changes. If you look, this is a very, uh, very progressive, we'll say, lineup from Hierro where he sort of said, look, we're going to have to move beyond some of these older players and give give some of these talented youngsters a chance. And, and so he, ran, he runs out Asensio, he benches... Uh, uh, you know, he benches Iniesta, he starts Coque, who who was the architect of that first game, and who I thought actually had a pretty damn good game generally. Um, and the team, I think, played a pretty strong game against a team that basically didn't create a single chance on goal other than a really questionable handball uh, penalty that they sort of fluked into. Um, so, I mean, Spain did dominate this match. It's just that when it came down to converting the penalties and taking that, you know, winning that coin flip that, that is so much about luck and guts. They just didn't have, they didn't have the, the mental fortitude to do it. And, and that's, that's a disappointing thing. And it's a thing that I think, you know, again, I think we can wear leave squarely at the feet of the Federation. Um, not because the players don't deserve blame for it, but because the players weren't mentally prepared for it because they didn't have the manager that knew how to mentally prepare them for this ma- ma- moment. Yerro is a coach, but he doesn't didn't want to coach the Spanish national team, didn't want this position, and didn't know how to deal with what 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 was put at his feet, which was a, a you know group of players who were panicking um, and who felt that they had been hard done by by the referee. I think fairly felt that way, uh, and then couldn't couldn't bring them together to to convert the opportunities that were given to them and it's just just as simple as that it's as simple as that all right we're gonna jump into your questions here shortly uh i'm gonna take a quick break uh and uh we'll bet back to you soon all right and we're back i'm sorry about that i was in my car when i was recording earlier because we are very short staffed on this holiday weekend uh but i'm just gonna jump into your questions now that I hope you all were okay with um, me ranting a little bit about the Spain game before uh, before we jumping into questions. I feel like that's the kind of thing that uh, that I needed to get off my chest. Anyways, so let's just um, not tons of not tons of questions today. Just gonna jump in, kind of do all of them. Um, going back to a little bit. So, um, Jihan Watson. Um, this is gonna do this in kind of chronological order. Uh, asked us about the uh, Leonin signing and whether that eliminates the potential for a Donnarumma signing. Um, and this, uh, uh, just so that everyone remembers, if you donate on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash managing Madrid, you, uh, if you donate $5 or more, uh, we will answer your question on every show that we do. Uh, so I promise, um, these are, uh, you know, we will answer all of your questions this time. And if you, uh, send in your question after we're done recording, we'll answer them. Anyways, let's just jump into Jihan's question here. Um, and yeah, I do. Um, I actually think that some of the more recent rumors, I think that that came up, well, it kind of popped up after, um, after you asked this question, Jihan, uh, that Madrid are kind of circling back around to Thibaut Courtois, who is in the last year of his contract and maybe gettable for a lower price. Um, may mean that uh, uh, make a little bit more sense given the Lunin signing. He probably would go out on loan. Thibaut Courtois is a little bit older, so you know even if he was there for five or six years, um, that gives Lunin a t- enough time frame to kind of develop. 
but who knows? I mean, it's it's definitely possible that you know I would imagine Madrid are going to kick the tires on Donnarumma, see how Milan is feeling. You got the sense that they're going to have to part ways with a lot of players, which is I think where this is coming from. I was saying, I know on Twitter around this period that Madrid have to at least go and 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 like I said, kick the tires because. You know they've been they've been sending Donnarumma the erupting volcano and eggplant emoji text messages you up, um, and uh, so we'll see. They've been flirting a while, and let's see if they finally consummate this thing. I don't think so. I think I think I I, I think these Thibaut Courtois rumors make a lot more sense. Um, he has a lot of leverage with this contact um, contract situation. Chelsea have to have to think hard about whether they're gonna uh, uh, you know, whether they're going to allow him to go into that last year of his contract without moving him. Uh, and so, especially for a player we know has wanted to join Real Madrid for a while, wanted to move back to Madrid, it makes sense. Um, and it makes sense that maybe Chelsea would be willing to move on because he's been around for a long time. It's the last year of his contract. He has shown no interest in in, in upping that contract, upping the years. So, um, And maybe Chelsea are ready to do kind of a, a, a revamp of their roster that might mean bringing in a... Uh, uh, a new keeper um, to kind of lead them into this next phase of their of their team. So I, I could see that happening. I could also see Donnarumma, to be frank. Um, we'll have to see how how the Madrid board wants to play this. And Florentino definitely does seem to want um, a new keeper. So this this makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, the Courtois rumors, I think the Donnarumma signing would make a lot of sense to me. Also, he's quite good. Um, all right, Kevin Redmond... Uh, asked us about Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, so Kevin wants to know, uh, preface the question by saying that Cristiano Ronaldo is my favorite player of all time. Uh, uh, I've been thinking recently of his age and the rumors of him leaving the club. My question is, at what age do you think he, it's generally acceptable to sell a, play, sell a player on a high value? Obviously, some 30-year-olds, Ronaldo, Modric, etc., can be more tricky to, do, to let go due to their great shape and them being the best at their positions. Football is a youthful sport, and in seven-plus years, some of the players who we have been connected to will be entering their 30s. What are your thoughts on age and transfers? Also, if you're listening, Kylian Mbappe, I think, has become the of all Madridistas and saying, come join the best club in the world. Definitely Cosign, dude. He's so good. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of questions on age. Um, and I think you're really astute to point out that there's a, there's a difference between how people age. Some people at 30 years old, I mean, I know I'm turning 30. I feel like I'm 60, (laughs) but, uh, no, some, some people definitely age differently than others. And especially with, um, you know, in this sport that's so physically demanding, you have to, you know, wonder when, uh, when time will, will, will come for these players. And, you know, with, with these guys who are, who are you know, still absolutely in, in top shape, who are playing at the absolute best you know, top of their game, it's hard to think that this is the astute moment to sign. I think, you know, you know one of the things is that in, on terms of, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe it would, t- it would get more bulk value for him in terms of literal just transfer value when you sell. But you also have to consider that when you sell Cristiano Ronaldo, what you're also doing is selling a huge amount of your marketing. Um, and this is something that Josh Seitlin likes to bring up whenever we talk about this. And you know, the, the marketing dollars are not at all small, and especially with someone as, as wildly popular as Cristiano Ronaldo, who in fact has almost as many social media followers as Real Madrid itself. Uh, 
you have to feel that he, at least in terms of you're talking just pure value, if you mean value in terms of money, that having him in the club is almost better than having than not having him at the club by itself, just based on his star power alone. Um, in terms of actually what's good for the club, I think we will see in the next couple of years some of these players start to show their age a little bit more. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo seemed like he was, although the kind of underlying metrics at the, at the beginning of the beginning of last year did not kind of support Cristiano playing the way he the producing the way he was producing. I'll say I think he was actually playing better than his numbers showed, uh, and that kind of buoyed him into the second half of the season where he played out of his mind. Uh, Modric obviously is. It's just crazy consistent and a brilliant player. And I think Madrid would be crazy to part with either of these two players, uh, frankly. I think you do it when you uh, are... I mean, there are scenarios when I can imagine at least Cristiano Ronaldo. I think if they want to go, you have to listen to them because they've been such great servants of the club. Um, and I also think that uh, if they Madrid can set up a really beneficial swap that doesn't lose them... Um, attacking power and marketing dollars. So, for example, if you could you could imagine a, a situation where it's been rumored that Real Madrid and PSG would arrange some sort of uh, uh, combination of uh, money, whatever, for Neymar and Cristiano Ronaldo. I couldn't. I could imagine that happening. I don't know. The Madrid board would have to decide whether that's something that they want to they want to pursue. I think you know crucially, and uh, this is just. This just goes, I think, back to, to your point. There isn't a one-size-fits-all situation for age. Um, by this, if by Cristiano Ronaldo's age, Kaká had already basically fallen apart. Um, but there are other players who, who play very well for long, long, long stretches of time. Look at Iniesta, look at a number of other players. And Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, if you would ask, there's this kind of concept of, you know, your body, real age versus, like, kind of your health age. And... Cristiano Ronaldo, his body and the way he 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 works on himself, and it's you know everyone who says this this is just because he's vain. It's an insane person because it's such an important part of a long and you know in in you know, really a long career as the world's best or one of the one of the two best players in the world. Uh, is this is is his is the incredible shape he's kept himself in, and his I think biological age is definitely older than his what his he actually looks like and his body's ages, if that makes sense. They're these two different concepts, right? And he's playing at, as if he were, you know, the numbers are backing him up as if he were like a 25-year-old. So <laughs> I just you, I just don't think you can get rid of that production from your team. Um, and it's, it's really when he begins to drop in production that you think maybe a team will take a gamble, not even a gamble, just go out and get him and say, look, we, we're accepting the drop in production. We're okay with what he is now. We want the marketing money. We want this. And we'll take this player at the price you guys are setting for him because we think that that's a value for us. And, and I think that time will eventually come. I can't say when with him because of, like I said, it's very unclear what his, his kind of metaphysical body age is, <laughs> despite his, whatever his biological age is. Um, and, uh, I don't know. So I don't think there's one, a one-size-fits-all um, uh, uh, solution to this. Obviously, eventually you, you move on, but it's, it's going to be a case-by-case basis when, when the right time to move on from a player is. Um, all right. <laughs> the last question is from our friend Sajid Rayaz. Um, and uh, so Sajid has 
the <laughs> this is titled the question Messi is not the greatest of all time. <laughs> uh, he says, "What do you guys have to say about the loads of people defending Messi and calling him the greatest of all time?" Um, to be frank, I've kind of been rooting him for him to repeat the Maradona-esque mythical feat of 12 years, and I'm tired of finding excuses for him. Uh, for 12 years, sorry. Um, I mean, this is a sport where too many people are on the field to uh, make kind of results meaningless. Or to, sorry, to make res- your team results the fault of one player. Um that being said, I think that that Messi's failure at the international level, time and time again, with um, Argentina sides that people, for you know, essentially accurate reasons, are are saying are weak. Um, regardless of that, this is still a team that is an extremely powerful attacking side. That anyone who is trying to find excuses, you know, and if you're seeing anyone saying that this is a team of of scrubs, just remind them who else is playing on the team other than Messi and that, you know, it's the managers and the players job to find a way to make these players work together. And, you know, there, there may be a bunch of scrubs at, at some position, but a team that good shouldn't have as many problems as Messi's Argentina have had over the, over, over the last few years. And, you know, this world cup, I think wasn't, you know, obviously he didn't play well and, and Argentina's the, did not look very good, but this World Cup is not, I think, the uh, 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 kind of perfect example of Messi's uh, failure at the world or at, at the international stage. I think it's the Copa America a couple of, a couple of years ago where you get into that crucial final and it goes to penalties, or even the World Cup final a couple of years ago, it goes to penalties and, and Messi misses. And that, I mean, you just, that actually is something that people are failing to take into account when they talk about this debate. Now, I personally find this debate tiresome, so I'll just I'll say this. I, I, I'm not particularly interested in it, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not you know, something that people talk about all the time, and, and rightly so. It's, like, it's really fun, and this is sort of what sports are about, is to talk about stuff like this, but I, will, I would like to, to just point out that his numbers at the club level probably are superior to Cristiano Ronaldo. It's just in terms of pure numbers. But if you actually look at the importance and, and kind of guts that he brings to the team, I think that over his tenure, he hasn't shown to be that kind of powerful, pure leader that um, Ronaldo has shown over his time, both at Real Madrid and at, at Portugal, where, you know, it's, you know, I think it is a big... I think it is a big selling point on Cristiano Ronaldo's claim that he basically willed that Portuguese team to, and then and led that Portuguese team to the Euro Cup championship in 2018, which is, you know, it's not the World Cup, but it's a big, big, big championship. Um, Messi still has time in his career to win a World Cup too. The next one in, in Qatar could very well be, I mean, he'll be old, but who knows if he'll be, um, you know, who knows what's going to, the Argentine team is going to look like and, and whatnot. But um, at the moment, I think that his credibility on the international stage, which just seemed to be like whenever there are the big moments, he seems to disappear, is actually, it, it shouldn't just be brushed aside because he has such amazing club numbers. 
And the people that are doing that are either not are either unwilling to listen to arguments about things that don't involve numbers, because of course these numbers, um, you know, the the numbers are there for him. It's just it's about things that are beyond numbers. And if that's not something they're willing to engage with on, then you're not going to be able to have a fruitful discussion because Messi does have just absolutely all-time numbers. Uh, you know, it's but these the failures at the international level and the and what they are is failures of leadership exist and he's wearing the armband for his team he's you know and he he should be the the leader by both by presence and by example and also by you know by actually getting in people's faces and and forcing them and getting you know getting in their face telling them how to how to play the game um so i think that really does um i think that really does speak to his his claim, and this is a this is like I said, a debate I'm not super interested in, um, but it's also a debate that I think will continue to rage uh, going into the future. I, I know that Kim McCauley said, you know, that wrote a whole article about this, and I don't, I'm not a person who normally who disagrees with Kim at all. So, uh, but this and then this article I thought makes a strong point that if you know you can't just hang all of the team failures of these Argentine teams at Messi's feet. Um, But the thing is that people do tend to hang all of the successes of this Barcelona side at Messi's feet also. So I think it's, I think if, if you really want to have this debate, if you really want to get into it, the, the proper way to do it is through, is through numbers or you account for all of the, the kind of holistic vision of the player's career, both at the club and at the team level and what the player brings to the team. Now, I think one of the ways that I've just kind of made a simple argument about this is if you're doing a kind of drafting a team, all-time team from scratch, right, who do you, do you, who do you take first? That's literally the question sort of with the greatest of all time conversation. And I think Messi has to be at least, if not the guy, then one of the first two. Um, and Cristiano Ronaldo certainly is in that conversation. I think Pele and Di Stefano and, and, and whatnot are also in that conversation. So you just have to, you know, think hard about that question. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. This is um, this has been a tough. This has to be a tough kind of moment for the Messi faithful because he just looks so bad at this world cup. He had basically one moment where he looked good. Um, and that was basically it. And he really, his team really should have been eliminated, um, in the first round. They shouldn't have made it even to the knockouts. I got to tell you, I think that, um, Nigeria were robbed, uh, in that game, especially if you look at what happened in the Spain game that I was talking about today, where, you know, the Argentine player headed the ball onto his own arm I, I don't know what, what we're supposed to make of that. In the Russia game, um, the other player headed the ball onto PK, like into the back of PK's arm. And these seem like very similar plays, and one of them are called, one of them's not. One of them benefits Argentina, which is like kind of the traditional superpower, and the other one benefits Russia, which is the team that basically bought this World Cup. So make of this stuff what you will, but I, I just... I'm sorry. I don't want to get back into the handball roll thing. <laughs> I can't believe I went back that direction. Um, I, but I do. I do think, I, I got to say, I, I do think that Argentina shouldn't even have made this round. Uh, Nigeria really got robbed 
I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I can't, I can't get to do it anymore. Um, he's got, anyway, so Sajid, you go into all of his, all of his numbers and, and, and whatnot. Um, he's been around for a while. You're right. Um, and you say that all this should tell you how long he's been around and the fact that he hasn't done enough with Arjun to warrant the status. Um, I don't agree with that. I think that it's, I think that if what, if what you're getting at is that this is, um, pointing towards, uh, a situation where you would say that Messi should be eliminated from this conversation, then no, I, I fervently disagree with that. I think that's wrong. Um, I think any conversation of the best ever to do this sport right, to play this game has to include Messi. It'd be comically wrong not to. Um, just like it has to include Cristiano Ronaldo. It has to include it. I don't know what the answer is, and this, that's sort of the whole point of these discussions, that you can never make this claim and, and have it not go contested, right? Like, you know, I... So it reminds me a lot of the basketball debate where... Um, we were in the process of witnessing LeBron James, who I think has arguably the numbers and is credibly um, the best player ever to play this sport. And uh, where we where we come down right in that in basketball because we're very American in, in in this sport is that LeBron, you know, he moved around. He kind of bought himself a couple of championships. Uh, never mind that he. Uh, in those championship runs was incredibly impressive uh, in, in the way that he played and basically, you know, willed himself to them, whatever. And then that he willed him, his team back to the finals three years in a row with the kind of mediocre Cavs team. And uh, he's had every single year he's played in the finals the last three years with the Cavs team. He's deserved MVP. Uh, and he didn't get it. <laughs> he, he, I, I know they lost. He still deserved MVP, and I will absolutely die on this hill. Um, and uh, and obviously he brought his team from three to one down against arguably the the best team in the history of the game and the, this current version of the Super Warriors. So, and I think that's a lot. There's a lot of that to say about about Messi. Um, the only difference, right, is that Messi seems that you know. Uh, Messi seems to not have even the ice in his veins that Ronaldo or that uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldo or that that LeBron has. So the the greatest of all time debate in basketball is actually tougher because um, LeBron to me has a better claim than Messi has. If you if you just break it down to that classically American thing of how many how did they help their team win championships, um, and LeBron you know, willed his team to those championships. He did it himself. Michael Jordan obviously did too. Uh, but Messi is, I think, one of those people who really does have lacking that um, that ability to just will his team to these to these uh, historic runs. Okay, um, that's it for your Managing Madrid podcast. Um, toss a couple bucks on Patreon, patreon.com slash Managing Madrid, um, and uh, we will uh, always answer your question on Facebook uh, or on, uh, on, on the uh, – uh, on the show, we will. Uh, if you want, goes all the way up. You can get you can sponsor the show. Um, you can even pop on and uh, join us for a episode. 
Um, you're about to hear me uh, on Love Sport Radio UK previewing the Spain game. I know it's a little late for this, <laughs> but uh, I hope you enjoy that. Before I mention that, uh, I do also want to just shout out again to Daniel Smith for his fantastic shirts. You can buy those at uh, realmadridchamps.com. They are incredibly dope. I really encourage everyone to go check those out. They're very, 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 very cool. Um, okay, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and play my uh, interview and um, until Wednesday. A la Madrid. How many brothers fell victim to the street? Rest in peace, son. There's a heaven for you. Be alive if I told you that I never thought of that. My niggas, we be the last ones left. But life goes on. How many brothers fell victim to the street? Rest in peace, young nigga. There's a heaven for you. Be alive if I told you that I never thought of that. My niggas, we the last ones left. Life goes on. I bail through the empty halls. Breath stinking in my drawers. Ring, ring, ring. Quiet, y'all. Here coming calls. Plus, it's my homie from high school. Joining us now is Gabe Lesborough from the Managing Madrid podcast. Good afternoon, Gabe. Everybody, how's it going? Good afternoon. We're very well, thank you, and thank you for joining us. Uh, Gabe, what's, Happy the, to be here. what's the vibe like in Spain at the moment? Then They, they top their group, but they've uh, not been convincing, have they, by any stretch of the imagination? Yeah, they sure backed into the top spot in the group. <laughs> the, the vibe right now is extremely nervous. Uh, I think there's a belief that some of the top players will come out uh, with a lot of, you know, a lot of passion, a little bit more, you know, confidence and a little bit, you know, more, more uh, uh, focus. And I think that's, that's a big part of what was going wrong in the group stage. Um, I think we have to mention, just before we go any further, the whole managerial debacle that happened before the start of the yep. World Cup. Obviously, Lopetegui was, was fired, I think, was it two days before the start of the actual tournament? Yeah. Um, how do you think Spain have managed that? I mean, we all know that Spain are you know, a quality side. Do you think it was something they could have just brushed, brushed past them? I, yes and no. I think part of the problem is that they appointed Hierro, who is, you know, by all accounts, didn't want the job, and and you know he he is a he is a coach. He's done some of it. He has his, he has his licenses and everything, but he was never his you know he he was never planning to do it. So it was a it was a very you know by all accounts it was a terrible decision, and I think Spain is finally seeing that. But you know this is a professional side. They're they're filled with you know experienced good players. So you know the real question at this point is whether everyone is going to be able to move past it and whether Hierro is a good enough man manager to get everyone focused because if this side is focused i think we've seen what they can do it's not like he's made ma- massive tactical changes from from the side that we thought was world beaters when they took on italy in the bernabeu so it's really just about making sure the players are all focused and and executing the game plan that he's drawn up for them gabe what's the uh, what's the vibe what's coming out of the country you know the fans are they really behind the team what do they expect from the uh, from the next game? They, I mean, there's a lot of nervousness, um, and I think that there's going to be you know a lot of questions and hard questions asked if Spain doesn't perform well against Russia. And that that doesn't mean that they don't get through or whatever. But you know, the team is there is a belief I think that that I've seen that this team will kind of pull it together. But there there is also a lot of nervousness because Spain really did back into that top spot in the group. I mean, getting that draw in the last minute against, you know, a, a, admittedly a strong side in Morocco, but not a, not a, by any means a team that Spain should have any problems with and with the help of VAR. I mean, it's just not, an inspira- not inspiring any confidence in the side right now. Gabe, how difficult is it going to be 
taking on the hosts. It's going to be a, a crowd of maybe 60,000, 70,000 in the stadium, largely, you know, percentage of which, maybe 90-odd percent, is going to be Russian fans looking for their side to get into the quarterfinals because I think they've been a little bit of a surprise package to people having played so well in the group stages. Is that going to be difficult for the Spaniards playing the Russians in their own backyard? I think so. I, I, I mean, I think any team that played Russia would have a tough time with it, given the way that they're going to be facing a you know, packed stadium filled with, with loud, angry Russians. But I, I will say that if you look at Spain's roster, almost all of those players are players who face voracious away crowds in the Champions League. I mean, just look down the list. You've seen players from Real Madrid, Barcelona, all of whom have gone to you know, Champions League stadiums and, you know, Anfield and, 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 and Old Trafford. So it's not like that is a harder ask than going in and playing against these uh, Russians. Gabe, just one on here. Um, I've looked at Costa, you know, in the games. He's looking fit, yeah. isn't he? He's looking fit. He's looking hungry. What does he bring to, you, uh, to yeah. that Spanish team? What does he bring? From anything Spain has uh, has seen in the past, really, he's he's a totally different player from any of the kind of golden age Spanish strikers. You know, he he's a very much a kind of target man back to the goal nine that, that Spain's really never had. So it's a very different thing. You know, you don't think of Spain as a team that can play these long balls in the air and expect their strikers to come down with them. But I think that some of the players are beginning to understand that Costa's the type of person that. You know, he's not going to get it every time, but he's going to have a fighting chance to get almost any ball that, that's sent up to him and then hold it long enough for Spain to recover, which is a really different thing for them. Like, they've, they've always been a team that plays very slow possession ball out of the back and then, you know, expects their striker to drop deep so that those wingers can cut into the central spaces. And with Costa, it's a different look, and it's a, it's a look that I think that Spain is, is – sometimes relishes and then sometimes doesn't really know what to do with him because he doesn't quite have that movement that, say, an Aspas or in, in the past a Vigo or a Torres even would have had. Um, another player, actually, uh, Gabe, that's kind of piqued my attention, um, seeing as a lot of the Spanish players haven't really performed their best, is Isco. Do you think, yeah. uh, as he continues playing, is he going to get better as his confidence grows? I think so. He is an, he's an incredible player in this entire uh, he's basically the only reason Spain is, is treading water in the competition as of now. I, I mean, I do expect you know, some of the other players to step up, and, and I don't think the team has really hit any gear yet, but he at least is playing his best ball right now, and that's exciting. And, and what he's doing is, is you know, he's, he's kind of showcasing all the things that make him this really kind of uh, mercurial talent that everyone loves but also has these games that does be where he doesn't really get involved, which is he really relies on this kind of quick passing and uh, and cutting kind of game where he's also quite a good dribbler. So when he's able to get in and find some space and dribble past a couple of people, he's just he's just putting on a show. And then in other games when the teams kind of bunker in, like in Iran or in Morocco, he still finds his way through, but it's a, it's a much tougher game for him. I think you know, going into this Russia match, Isco is definitely someone to watch, especially because Russia hasn't actually had a particularly solid defense. Uh, and, and I would imagine that he's going to find a lot of space there and, and a lot of space to work with. Now, depends on how Russia plays him. And if they play him sort of the way some of the teams have been playing Neymar and just hammers him all game, I think it'll be a different thing for him. Gabe, thank you for joining us here on Love Sport Radio this afternoon. Enjoy the game. Spain versus Russia. 
tomorrow afternoon. France versus Argentina uh, took place earlier on today. Uruguay and Portugal kicking off in about 90 minutes time. We are going to be back right after this quick break talking all things French. There's a heaven for a Be a lie if I told you that I never thought of death. My niggas, we the last ones left. But life goes on. How many brothers fell victim to the streets? Rest in peace, young nigga. There's a heaven for a Be a lie if I told you that I never thought of death. My niggas, be the last ones left And life goes on Yeah nigga, I got the word as hell You blue trial and the judge gave you 25 with an L Time to prepare to do fair time, won't see parole Imagine life as a convict that's getting old Plus with the drama, with looking out for your baby's mama Taking risks while keeping cheap checks from getting on her Life in the hood is all good for nobody Remember gaming on dumb hotties at your party Me and you know true or two while scheming on hits and getting tricks that maybe we can slide into. But now you worry, rest nigga, cause I ain't worried. Eyes blurry, saying goodbye at the cemetery. Though memories fade, I got your name tatted on my arm, so we both born to my dying days. Before I say goodbye, Kaden with mental rest in peace. Thug till I die. How many brothers fell victim to the streets? Rest in peace, young nigga. There's a heaven for a G. I'd be alive if I told you that I never. We the last ones left And life goes on How many brothers fell victim to the streets Rest in peace, young nigga There's a heaven for a G I'd be alive if I told you that I never thought of death My niggas, we the last ones left Cause life goes on Worry me smiling With G's in my pocket Have a party at my funeral Let every rapper rock it Let the hoes that I used to know From way before Kiss me from my head to my toe Give me a paper of pen so I can write about my life of sin A couple of bottles of gin in case I don't get in Tell all my people I'm a rider Nobody cries when we die We outlaws, let me ride Until I get free I live my life in the fast lane Got police chasing me To my niggas from old blocks, from old groups Niggas that got me through Back in the old school Pour out some liquor, have a toast for the homies See, we both gotta die, but you chose to and brothers miss you while you gone You left your nigga on his own How long we moan, life goes on How many brothers fell victim to the street Life Rest goes on, on Far homies that passed away Niggas doing life Niggas doing 50 and 60 years and shit I feel you nigga, trust me, I feel you You know what I mean? Last year we poured out liquor for you This year, nigga, life goes on You finna clock mail Get money Evade bitches Evade tricks Get flags, plenty space and Basically, just represent for you, baby Next time you see your niggas We gonna be on top, nigga You gonna be like, God damn Them niggas came up That's right, baby Life goes on we up out this bitch. Hey, Kato, mental, y'all niggas make sure it's popping when we get up there, man. Don't front.
Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.